So welcome to A Correction Podcast. I'm your host, Lev Moscow, and today we have a really exciting show. We're going to be talking to Alex Rutch, who is a machine learning engineer at Spotify, and uh, he previously worked as a machine learning research engineer at Graphica, Inc., and I was a SAGE Fellow PhD at Cornell and got his PhD from Cornell in 2021. And welcome to the show, Alex. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk about your paper. Your paper is a long title. Millions of co-purchases and reviews reveal the spread of polarization in lifestyle politics across online markets. So um, you co-authored this paper with two other people and you set out to, and you can tell me, you can tell me if I'm if I'm getting it correct here, but you set out to to measure just how pervasive the polarization is in the United States by looking at what we buy. You know, you focus on this thing called, you know, lifestyle politics. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that was or what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So lifestyle politics is this idea where things that aren't inherently political become affiliated with a political ideology. So in the example of the paper, um, I give you know, if you think of something like why are liberals associated with, you know, drinking lattes, whereas something like bird watching associated with conservatives, there's no inherent political thing about either of those, but somehow these processes, these behaviors and practices that we do can become affiliated one way or another with political ideology. Maybe you could give us some examples of the kinds of things which are which are associated with liberals and conservatives. Happily. So in the paper, one of the things that we found is uh, like, imagine yourself going to a park and there's some barbecues going on two different sides of the park. And on the one side, you see people who have stainless steel juicers, organic con eco totes, purple cardigans. They're listening to Bruce Springsteen, um, reading books like Nuclear Disaster, Whereas on the other side, you have a group of individuals who have some grilling and barbecue equipment. One person has a leather pistol holster, Carhartt jacket, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger t-shirt. Um, and some of the books that people have there are things like Southern literature or the fight against radical Islam. When you think of these, or we found actually that these two sets of products are products that on the one hand, the earlier examples, the stainless steel juicer, are associated with liberal lifestyle politics, whereas the other group of products are more aligned with conservative lifestyle politics. Now, there's nothing inherent about stainless steel juicers being liberal or um, grilling equipment being conservative. But again, these are things that through their association with other products that happen to be explicitly political have themselves taken on this political um, association. It's so interesting. So how did you figure this out? What was the what was the research process? So we began this study, first of all, by building off of an earlier study that examined how liberals and conservatives consume different types of science. So this paper, what they did was they started off and they got a bunch of data on products from Amazon and how those products are co-purchased with other products. Like when you go on the Amazon website, you'll get a screenshot. They'll say people bought this also bought this other product. Very helpful for recommendations. And it gives us a lot of information about how things are purchased together. When the researchers of this earlier study done by my advisor and some colleagues 
the went through and the collected information on politicians biographies. So Obama's biography being like a seed to collect a sample of liberal products and Mitt Romney's biography being a conservative seed after which you can sample other conservative products. They went through and they actually looked at each of these products and the research team labeled each of these books as being liberal and conservative. So we took the data that they began with. And what we did was we asked, well, we know that liberals and conservatives consume different types of science, but does this grow and expand beyond book and media consumption into things like entertainment, home products, automotive products, et cetera. So we began our sample and like, well, if you look at other products beyond books, like what other products, if someone's buying, you know, George Bush's biography, are they also buying, you know, grilling or barbecue equipment? Or if someone's buying Obama's biography, are they also buying, you know, a Bruce Springsteen album, for example? I mean, the two do happen to co-host a podcast together. Um, Are they buying iPod speakers together? So by looking at these things that liberals tend to also co-purchase along with these explicitly liberal products, you can kind of get a sense of things that liberals also buy together. And then same with conservatives. Do you have a sense of of the why? So like, why aren't more liberals barbecuing? Um, Why aren't more liberals buying Carhartt? You explain your paper why liberals are buying Levi's and conservatives are buying Wrangler. But what about all this other stuff? That's a great question as well. The actual reasoning why is very difficult to unfold. It could be, um, there's different arguments in sociological, psychological, and behavioral sciences. One way how we try to unfold and explain what best predicts lifestyle politics is we looked at these network features. So the extent to which um, certain products um, tend to be they tend to be explicitly uh, co-purchased or they tend to be co-purchased with explicitly liberal or conservative project uh, products. You can think of this as like a recommendation engine type thing. So, you know, if you start buying something like a calendar, for example, of Midwest scenery, say you really like pictures of Utah or whatever. And if people also, you don't outright buy conservative products, but other people who have bought that poster previously have bought things that are conservative, then by you buying, you know, being interested in or checking out this poster, you then get exposed you get recommended perhaps other products that tend to be conservative and same with the liberal um, process. But then another argument too is like, could it not just be this network phenomena, but there's something inherently psychologically liberal or conservative in the way perhaps we think of things from a moral standpoint, products related to care and harm, for example, may appeal more to those with liberal ideologies, whereas things like authority and fairness may appeal more to conservatives. So what we did is we looked at, to measure those different variables, the reviews that reviewers posted on these products. And we used a uh, text analysis artificial intelligence model to be able to predict the extent to which individuals' reviews had morally laden um, vocabulary in them. And we used a fancy statistical model to see do the network features or do the morality features best predict lifestyle politics? And what we found was that it's these network features that best explain whether a product is more 
um, entwined with lifestyle politics. Just to go back for a sec. So the architecture of Amazon itself, which, you know, they give you these, you might like these other products. That's sort of like a feedback loop. And that may be making, that may be amplifying. Yeah, kind of like in an echo chamber type effect. How does this research, how has it changed your understanding of of the political situation? What was most interesting to me when I began analyzing uh, polarization and lifestyle politics across these different market categories, such as automotive, grocery and gourmet food, patio, lawn and garden, et cetera, was that I had expected more of these categories to have liberal alignments versus conservative alignments. People often, when you think of the internet and social media and websites in general, there's this argument in uh, the media where a lot of things tend to be liberally uh, skewed, liberal bias, et cetera. But when you actually measure the political alignments, political relevance, uh, the entwinement of lifestyle politics across these categories, what you find is that liberals are mostly uh, drawing the political alignment liberally across books, music, movies, and TV, these cultural categories of products, whereas other categories, home and kitchen, office products, uh, health and personal care, actually align fairly conservatively. So it... I, we saw a lot more conservative alignment in the market than conservative or than liberal alignment, which was very interesting to us. I'm kind of curious. Um, what did you see in terms of music consumption? I mean, you gave the example of Springsteen. Are there other examples of like what kind of music liberals listen to versus the music that conservatives listen to? Or is it? I guess I can I can assume like country music is maybe more conservative, but I don't know. Yeah, what did you that find? was what the did, clearest what? example. Okay. Did you find okay. other things there that that surprised you? Uh, so because we had so many products to look at, um, we had over 234 million relationships across reviewers to products and brands and categories. So because of this, we mostly focused our analyses on these product categories because it's much easier to talk about mm-hmm. um, yeah, something like music as a whole category or books than breaking it down into categories. And the other issue we were constrained by from the data analysis standpoint is that we didn't have information subcategorizing genres of books or music. So that would have taken a bit of time for us to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I again, tell me if I'm getting it wrong. You started looking at purchases from the mid nineties to 2014? Yep. Um, yeah, to 1996 to 2014. Okay, did you start to see changes um, as we sort of get closer to the present? Uh, That is another really fascinating question we wanted to analyze. Unfortunately, with the data that we got from Amazon, we also couldn't tell when a product first entered the market. We could try to infer it with some ways, like when it got its first review, but because there weren't, there were only timestamps for when reviewers posted reviews, we couldn't do that temporal analysis But one of the things we are looking at now is how you could perhaps look at language to measure how language and the reviews of reviewers on product categories like Nike, for example, or Donald Trump have changed over time. You know, 
Mm-hmm. Do when he was primarily focused on business, was Donald Trump really polarizing? But then after he ran for president, for example, I would imagine the reviews on his products became a little more uh, tense and divided. There's something in the beginning of your paper that I had been thinking about, but I wanted to ask you about. So you say in the very beginning, you say that we're more polarized today than we've been at any point in, in recent history. And though partisan divisions on moral issues have been closing over time, between group animosity has steadily grown since the 70s. So does this mean that liberals and conservatives actually, in terms of the politics, agree more than we've ever agreed, but that we like each other less? Explain what you mean there. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. One of the ways in which we are becoming more aligned is if you think of secularization, conservatives, for example, becoming a little more secular over time. And that's one of the things that historically has really divided liberals and conservatives. So in ways like that, and if you gave them a survey on, you know, say a hundred different cultural attitudes, they're becoming close, more closely aligned over time compared to points in the past. However, the group animosity, what's really driving that previous or other studies have shown tends to be this idea of party sorting, where the issues that are most important to liberal and conservative parties, um, the individuals who are, you know, leading political parties tend to emphasize those differences more, as well as the importance of those differences. So people can become very heated over a smaller number of uh, topics, you know, immigration, um, abortion, etc. Even though on a wider range of issues, they may be coming more closely aligned. Well, first of all, let me ask, is, is polarization a bad thing in your mind? I definitely think that polarization can really hamper parts of democracy that are really core to a well-functioning society. For example, if people become you know, if they agree on 99 out of 100 things, but on that one last issue, they're so divided, they won't, you know, try to work together on something. It, the whole process of democracy can be hampered on that. In some ways, you do want some amount of, I wouldn't say polarization, but differences in political ideology, because, you know, that's what ins- should incite conversations and different ways of looking at issues, um, diversity in thought, even. But once it hits a point where, these groups and their coordination and interaction with each other's fissures. And you have two like people who just outgroup hate will predict their voting behaviors more than their actual thoughts on a particular issue. You know, that, that spells trouble for any political system. Yeah. I mean, what's so interesting about that, with that last part of what you said is, so it's not so much our views on political issues, although there are some major differences, right? But it's actually like you wear Oakley glasses and I wear Levi jeans and, and we're not liking each other. We look at each other and we can recognize that we are part of different tribes. And so we're not actually, we're not actually fighting over ideas. That's, that's a little bit concerning. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I guess my, yeah, the big question I have is I read about your, your work in, in the New York times and uh, obviously, lots of people also read about your paper, and I'm wondering, people who have real power, politicians, let's say, if 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 they read your work, what are they supposed to? What do you? What would you hope that they would do with this information? Oh goodness, that that's a tough question. Whew. 
I think one of the things I really challenge people to think about more is why we're so divided on some of the issues that we are. For example, I mentioned the party sorting issue. Is it really because we hold very specific views on certain issues that we're unwilling to compromise? Or is it just because the political structure in which we exist is just, it's a winner take all. It's a two party system. You know, it does not leave much room for meeting in the middle where things are at now. It's, it's just being frank and upfront and honest with why people support the issues that they do, I think can go a long way. You know, even that's one of the suggestions for trying to mitigate polarization and talking across the table, you know, question why you believe what you believe and kind of from an empathetic lens, try to really understand why other individuals hold the beliefs that they have. If you can understand where they're coming from, you know, perhaps at least that negative affect that you have, it it would transition more to like, okay, we have an ideological difference. Like I don't hate this other person. I don't, you know, want to like rip them and their party apart or whatever. It's just, okay, you know, we have a different ideology and we just agree to disagree. Lowering that tension and the emotion can go a far way to getting people to collaborate more. You know, I don't know if you've studied this at all, but I'm wondering if in places where you have actually had civil wars in recent times, whether or not there's also lifestyle polarization. Do you know of anyone who's done work on that? Or are you aware of that? If that's, if that's even true, then places where people have actually shot it and killed each other, whether or not there's lifestyle polarization? I feel like it's one, when looking at issues of lifestyle politics, there's so many examples that you can think of where you immediately know, like I gave the example of going to the park and seeing the two groups having a Mm -hmm. barbecue, where you just immediately know which way people think and what kinds of conversations you might have, whether you agree or disagree, feel comfortable or uncomfortable, angry, and which group you would want to be with. If you were to take time and go back across all of these major conflicts, I'm sure you can like definitely think of things that become associated with that. Like even in the 1960s, long hair, you know, among uh, liberals um, and then the kind of high and tight, if you think of, you know, conservatives, you know, there's nothing about the hairstyle that would necessarily be yeah. like, yeah. So yeah, I'm confident you'd be able to find cases. Now I'm, I'm wondering, you work at Spotify. What do you, what do you do at Spotify? At Spotify, I'm a machine learning engineer working in our advertisements business unit. I try to work on our systems and our modeling pipelines to better serve customers advertisements that resonate with them. So nobody wants to hear an advertisement that they just really feel disconnected with, you know? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you feel comfortable answering this question, but I wonder if there's anything that folks at Spotify could be doing to, you know, I don't know if like you could gear ads every once in a while to people, maybe to conservatives so that they hear like liberal ads or ads for for liberal, like, you know, clothes or music. I don't know if that's something that Spotify would be interested in doing. Is that, I mean, is that possible for the big tech companies to change the way that they, you know, for Amazon to change the way that they recommend um, items to people or Spotify to change the kind of ads people listen to, or is that kind of unreasonable to to expect? 
So I'll say that I definitely keep my research separate or separate from my day job. But speaking from a high level, I think that there's numerous actions that you can see where um, different tech companies have tried to change the way how um, the information they serve affects political relationships, even when Facebook had tried to make it so there is no political advertisements um, in the past. And Twitter has done that, too. It's a really challenging scope because on the one hand you are dealing with issues of free speech if it's like an advertisement for political parties but on the other hand too um you know it's like how does that happen it's a very tricky subject no matter what the company is all right and then the last question alex is you know and i try to ask this of all my guests what um in the world right now is is making you feel you know most optimistic Optimistic. Oh, um, goodness. I have in this, in this pandemic world, it's, it's challenging to think of things that make me feel most optimistic. I don't know. Springtime is making me feel optimistic. I guess one of the things is that there's so many teams of researchers and there's so many people on there, you know, non-researchers uh, and organizations that are really starting to recognize how many things shape the way how people feel the way they do and which of these things may exacerbate tensions between groups. Then we're really starting to dig into like, you know, what can we do to structure our technology, our communication, our media in a way where we can at least be, you know, recognize what causes problems and some are taking actions to, you know, directly, you know, that these things may exacerbate bias or, you know, in group out group tensions, you know, do we really need it? And, you know, sometimes they get rid of them. 